You're listening to the Made for Living Well podcast. This is episode number 260, and today we're talking all about the pelvic floor. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is a place where I believe you were made for living well. Now, I think we just tend to overcomplicate a lot of matters in the health space, and we also tend to compartmentalize health down into very specific categories. That's why this summer, I kind of want to open the door to more topics in the health space than just what you eat and how much you should move. And that topic happens to be all about sexual wellness, which is actually a critical element in the overall scope of your body. So if you're new here, welcome. I know we're hitting on some pretty heavy topics this summer, but I do hope it changes your perspective and shifts your idea of what health is. Now, this isn't the first episode in this series, so if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, after you get done with this one, go back and check those out. They really are so beneficial and helpful and all just a little bit different. Now, if you're struggling in this series, I would love to help you along in that process. You are always welcome to email us at alexa at thelivingwell.com or support at thelivingwell.com. Now, today we're talking all about the pelvic floor, and I'm excited to have guest expert on Heather Jeffcoat. Heather is a recognized expert in the field of pelvic health physical therapy. She is also the president of the Academy of Pelvic Health Physical Therapy and on the advisory board of the International Pelvic Pain Society. She has been featured guest on so many podcasts, as well as author of her latest book, Sex Without Pain, a self-treatment guide to the sex life you deserve. Now, today on the show, I'm going to be asking Heather all kinds of questions about the pelvic floor, about the emotional storage point of that, how to help our pelvic floor. It really is so fascinating and such a critical element for men and women and their health. It's definitely a topic we need to talk about and one that I'm excited to bring to the show and the summer series. So I want to welcome Heather to the show and get started right away. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jeff Coe. It's an honor to have you on and talk about a subject that I think is really important, and especially as we talk about sexual wellness. Thank you, Alexa, for having me. I'm excited to chat about this. I love this topic. Yeah. So pelvic floor, right? Like both male and female have a pelvic floor, and it's really critical when we talk about sexual wellness. Can you just open up what exactly is the pelvic floor and why is it so important in our overall health? The pelvic floor muscles are a group of muscles that have various in, uh, functions that are really essential to um, like our quality of life. So it controls mm. our bowel function, our bladder function, our sexual function, and it also controls our posture. It's very important. Those muscles um, that are deep inside holding us up, like uh, holding our organs in a hammock um, or like a mm. hammock, I should say, um, they help support posture as well. And the other function that sort of came upon later is that they also have a function in uh, pumping like lymphatic fluid and help with blood flow mm. as well. So helping move things 
up to the heart um, so that it can be redistributed again through the rest of the body. Uh, but they're just a series of like a lot of small different muscles moving lots of different ways and some control more of like an opening closing, like for the sphincter, some produce more of a lift, but they are muscles just like any other muscle that we can control in our body. For example, like your biceps, your quads, you know, things like that, that people are more yeah. familiar with when they think of muscles, but these are also voluntary muscles as well. So when we talk about like the pelvic floor and understanding it, what are some ways that hurt it? You know, like, I, I mean, obviously probably pretty naturally we're born with a pretty health, healthy pelvic floor, maybe not, but what over the course of our lives is really causing this dysfunction and, and do a lot of people suffer with it? Yeah, it's, um, it, there are a lot of people that do have pelvic floor dysfunction and it can happen for various reasons across their lifespan. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the first sort of major instances where people will start to experience pelvic floor dysfunction is during pregnancy and subsequent delivery. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a having a vaginal delivery. So there is like a misconception that, um, women will preserve their like pelvic floor muscle health and vulvovaginal health if they have a C-section. But the truth of the matter is, and the research supports that even just being pregnant increases your risk of pelvic floor dysfunction. So those would be things like the support function, which can lead to a pelvic organ prolapse, for example, or the sphincter function, which can lead to bowel and or bladder incontinence. So um, that is sort of like a major turning point for a lot of for a lot of women with, um, uh. with their pelvic floor health, but it can also happen really young. Um, and I do work like I see men, right. Men have pelvic floors too, but I also see like kids, like boys oh, and yeah. girls, and they can get, um, you know, a, a turning point in their health too. So there could be like a, a trauma, for example, that can happen at any age. Um, and a trauma doesn't have to mean like, like something physically happened and damaged the pelvic floor. It could be like you fell on your tailbone while you were skiing or snowboarding and you mm -hmm. fell on your, you fell on your butt. And then you maybe had like a lot of back pain and, then in the meantime, there's all this pelvic floor dysfunction that was brewing and it yeah. never got addressed because maybe you were like 10 when this happened. And then now you're mm -hmm. like in college, maybe having sex for the first time. And you're, you remember your back hurting and you're like, why does it hurt for me to have penetrative intercourse? It could be that mm -hmm. fall you had that was never addressed because no one is looking at your pelvic floor when you're that young and you don't know, yeah. um, you know, maybe even like tampon insertion was painful after that, um, after that fall. And it, and it can be slowly brewing like over the course of a year. So it doesn't mean the pelvic floor mm -hmm. just like snaps up and is reactive right away. These things can be slowly occurring. And that's why it can kind of be hard sometimes to go back and track. Like when did this dysfunction occur? Like I used to have pain-free tampon insertion. Now it hurts. You know, when I was 12 yeah. or 14 using tampons, it was fine. But now that I'm 17 using tampons, they're, they're not feeling as, mm -hmm. as, easy. Um, an infection too, it could be like a recurrent yeast infection, right. Which happens to a lot of like little girls. 
So yeast mm-hmm. infections can also increase recurrent urinary tract infections can also increase um, your risk of pelvic floor dysfunction. There's, there's a lot of things, right? So yeah, between yeah. infection, trauma, um, being pregnant, um, you know, there, there's dozens and dozens of reasons that, that women especially can end up with, um, with this dysfunction, but, but men get it too. So before we talk about how men, like some signs of men, I mean, the urinary incontinence is maybe a little bit easier to understand when we talk about pelvic dysfunction, but when we talk about bladder infections and yeast infections and that being linked to pelvic floor dysfunction, I think there's like, well, how, you know, how does that happen? Like, why, why is that happening? Um, with dysfunction? Yeah. So um, what our bodies do, what our, what our muscles do around any area of pain or discomfort is they start to guard, right? So if you're, if you're in a car accident and I do always give these like orthopedic analogs, cause I think it's just easier for people to understand because yeah. they're something more we can talk about and maybe have experienced personally ourselves. But let's say you have like a, you're in a car accident and you have whiplash, which is like an injury of the, the ligaments, um, in your neck. Um, and you'll also get some like muscle dysfunction in those like upper traps is like very common, but like, why does it hurt down near your shoulder? If like, if you whipped your neck back and forth while well, your neck is painful, there's a lot of inflammation from that ligament uh, sprain that occurred or multiple ligament sprains that occurred from your head whipping back and forth. And so your muscles will start to guard. And so then you'll start to develop trigger points and you'll start to maybe even have like limited motion in that or limited flexibility, I should say, in that muscle. And, you know, with pain and inflammation in your pelvic floor, does it seem plausible that your pelvic floor muscles would guard around that? It does anywhere else in the body. So yes, that definitely mm-hmm. happens. But if you're not sexually active, if you're not even using tampons, you don't even know that process is occurring. Like it's yeah. kind of like a silent thing that's happening inside your body, because if it doesn't hurt unless you stretch it, when are you stretching it? You're, you're mm-hmm. stretching it with tampon insertion. You're stretching it with penetrative intercourse. Otherwise, you, most people just aren't going to feel that process developing, you know, gradually over time in their body. Do you see most pelvic floor dysfunction happening in like a tightening of the muscles? The majority, I would say my patient population is overactive pelvic Mm -hmm. floor. What the overall Uh prevalence is of overactive versus underactive is really impossible to know, but my population is mainly overactive pelvic floors. Um, but just because someone has bladder leakage, does not mean that they have an underactive pelvic floor either. Uh-huh. So it can be, um, oftentimes they have an overactive component that needs to be addressed. They might have part of the muscles are overactive, part are underactive. You have to treat the overactive component first. You can't just start someone doing a bunch of kegels if their pelvic floor is overactive. And when your muscles are overactive or short and tight, they're not going to function properly either. So that's why some Uh women can have incontinence and men, um, they can have incontinence or bladder leakage when they have their, um, yeah, when they have, uh, uh, overactive because short, tight muscles are weak, just as muscles that are over lengthened, um, are also weak. Our sweet spot of strength mm-hmm. is kind of somewhere right in the middle. And we don't have that mm-hmm. right in the middle component. If we live overactive, short and tight, and I'll always whip out, a, like a laminated copy that I have in all my offices of something called the length tension curve. So if any of your listeners are, can like Google that later length tension mm-hmm. curve, skeletal muscle, they'll see 
see how it essentially looks like a bell-shaped curve. So if you're if you're at any bottom end of the curve to the left or right, you're not going to be able to get much strength when you need to. Yeah. Okay. That that really makes sense. So how do how do you as a therapist tell, or how does how does the average person tell? Is this like okay, you really need to see a PT to have that proper diagnosis? Because obviously, like you said. And, and why I wanted to have you on, because a lot of people think even when we talk, start talking about sex and orgasm, like just do more Kegels and Kegels and Kegels and Kegels. And it's, but you're saying like, that's not always the right answer. Yeah. So how do you tell, where do you fall on that spectrum? Can the average person tell? Well, um, if you have a pain component, then you probably have an overactive pelvic floor muscle components. So, um, mm-hmm. that might maybe be like painful periods, painful tampon insertion, painful penetrative intercourse, painful urination that feels like mm-hmm. a UTI, but your UTI cultures keep coming back negative. So there's usually mm-hmm. some sort of like pain or discomfort. I would even say like, um, or I do say that when people have like a urinary urgency or frequency, I classify that as a pain because it's disrupting mm. how they go about yeah. their life. Right. Like just like someone that has back pain, isn't going to pick up a box off the floor. They're going to modify mm. how they do that. Somebody that has to pee all the time is going to change their whole life. They're going to know where all the bathrooms are. They're going yeah. to not go on long car trips, or if they do, they're going to make sure there's bathroom stops every hour along the way. So that's really, I treat as like a pain component as, or as a strong, like pain, um, uh, driver, uh, to their, to their dysfunction as well. But, you know, underactive, I mean, just from what I see in my own population, because even if I see like someone postpartum and they're just assuming yeah. now that they have incontinence, they need to do cables, yeah. they often have an overactive component to it. Mm-hmm. So I would say most people mm-hmm. probably don't need to just jump to starting kegels right away. And if you do, you can try it, but if it doesn't get you better, it might be because that's not what you need right now. You need to work on yeah. that pelvic floor muscle, what we call down training or relaxation component, and then build up your strength later. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get, get into that in a minute, but is this like similar for men? Do they experience the same level of pain? I mean, maybe you don't hear that quite as often. I feel like maybe women are a little bit more open about their struggles, but what, what does this look like in men with pelvic floor dysfunction? So what we see most often in men is something called, um, like a non-infectious prostatitis, which makes it sound like the prostate is inflamed, but really it's an overactive pelvic floor muscle disorder. So they have a lot of, um, urinary urgency and frequency, um, and they might have Mm. like burning with urination. That's not an infection. So that symptom is the most common that we see in men, Um, but you can have incontinence, but usually men do not have incontinence unless there's a trauma associated with it. Mm -hmm. So either like they have their prostate removed, so it's like a surgical trauma or some other like pelvic trauma, you know, that would send them to the hospital. Uh, So in general, a weakness disorder in the pelvic floor that would be severe enough to lead to incontinence is... Um, I'm not going to say rare in men, but a lot less common in men because their pelvises tend to be narrower. And so they have more like bony structural stability. Um, That's called an android pelvis. Women have typically more like what's called a gynecoid pelvis, which is meant for pushing babies through. So it tends Mm. to be wider and have less uh, bony structural support because, um, just of, of their anatomy. So they rely more on their muscles. So if there's any muscle or tissue yeah. damage, since they don't have that 
bony skeletal support, then they're more likely to have, you know, incontinence or prolapse issues. Prolapse would be where the pelvic mm-hmm. floor organs or not the pelvic organs, the pelvic organs, um, like your bladder, your bowel, your uterus, if you still have it, aren't up high supported like they usually are. They've kind of dropped down and are sagging a little bit within your pelvis. And you can feel that? Yeah, women can often feel it. It might feel like there's a pressure inside their vagina or their rectum, depending on what's prolapsed. Um, Sometimes they feel like they're Mm -hmm. sitting on a golf ball. Um, They might just have a sense of like pelvic heaviness or discomfort. Mm -hmm. So they they can Mm -hmm. feel it. Um, If they have a grade three or four, which are the two highest grades, they're typically able to feel that. Some women feel a two, but it kind of depends on how sudden that came on. So not everyone feels that they have a grade two. Um, Grade one, people usually can't perceive too much. That really makes sense. So when we talk about sex, obviously this is the sex talk this summer. You know, I think there's a lot of women specifically who struggle with painful sex. And, you know, I, I think it's maybe a topic that's not considered as often as possible because it could be embarrassing or shameful or whatever it is. But do you feel like a lot of that is due to this pelvic floor dysfunction? So, so yeah, so that brings up a whole new conversation, but the, the painful sex talk needs to happen because it used to be thought of this really rare thing. Like when I started teaching, um, well, not teaching, when I started treating, I should say in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. Like I will go to doctors and they like OBGYNs and they would say, my patients don't have this problem. And I'm like, what the, like, really? Like you're an OBGYN (laughs) and your patients don't have this problem. I'm like, I think that they're just not telling you that they have this problem. Yeah. Because even Uh then I knew that there was a stat that came out in the nineties that 43% of women would have painful sex at some points in their, at some point in their life. But then now even more recently, just a few years ago, the American college of obstetricians and gynecologists came out with a statement that said three out of four women will experience. Oh my goodness. At some point in your life. So you can go on the um, ACOG website and pull up that stat, but 75% of women at some point will have problems with painful sex. And yet still, I will have doctors tell me that their patients don't have this problem. And I'm like, I don't even know. Like, are you a gynecologist or like, what are you actually doing? If you, you know, like, how do you, how is your whole practice comprised of the 25% of people (laughs) that don't have? Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, it's very common. It's highly stigmatized. I think it's also normalized. So, um, you know, for example, after a baby, it's normal. It's not normal. No, no, no. I'm so sorry. I said that it is common for women to Mm -hmm. experience painful sex. Nine out of 10 women will have painful sex on their first attempt after having a baby. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how they delivered. Um, and those that have C-section actually report more painful sex, um, than those Mm -hmm. that have like a natural uncomplicated vaginal birth. So I think doctors will say, Oh, it's normal but it's not normal. Like for someone to experience any kind of pain, it's not normal. It's like, it's not normal for us to have back pain. Like it's not normal for us to have painful sex. So that conversation and the language we use around that needs to happen. That just because it does occur nine out of 10 times, doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. And in that Mm -hmm. same study that I'm quoting that had the nine out of 10 after delivery, um, 18 months later, and this was 1200 women that they studied. This wasn't like 12 women that they studied. This is 1200 women. And 18 months later, almost 25% of women were still having painful sex after this delivery that they had 18 months before. So Uh these are not uncommon 
things and they are not normal Uh to experience. And pelvic PTs are, are in that perfect position to treat these patients because we can get their history. We can spend the time with them to, to help them understand their bodies better. We can teach them self-treatment techniques so that they can, um, just know their bodies better and help get themselves out Mm -hmm. of pain. So when it, when we talk about some of these treatment options, obviously going to a PT, I, I mean, it's funny. I've had three babies and I've had both vaginal and C-section. I think my C-section was the hardest. I mean, still to this day on my pelvic floor, it's so much weakness, but it's fascinating to me because there's never any pelvic floor help after you have a baby, you know, it's like, well, good luck. It's like so much trauma. But when, when we talk about like, okay, the healing journey of what this looks like, what are some steps like going to a PT? What are some things at home? You know, I think a lot of women are trying Kegels and there's a lot of devices on the market anymore for pelvic floor dysfunction. Are those a good option or like where, where do those fit in inside the healing practice? So, so they can fit in, they absolutely can. But, um, if you don't get better, like, you know, you spent $200 on something that might not be right for you. So it could be very frustrating. Like you were really committed and you tried this program and why aren't you getting stronger? Why are you continuing to pee your pants when you sneeze? Um, you know, it's not just about, strengthening all the time, as I discussed Mm -hmm. earlier. And, you know, the other piece of that too, is, you know, one, one thing that you might, might tip you off that maybe that device isn't good for you. (laughs) Like if inserting a tampon or having sex hurts, like you probably need to Mm -hmm. start with a pelvic floor PT or, um, you know, using a book like my book, for example, that can Mm -hmm. help you learn how to assess areas of overactive pelvic floor muscles and, um, give you also a treatment plan to be able to address that overactivity and then go back and use your device. And maybe you don't know, because maybe mm-hmm. a tampon feels okay. And maybe you're not sexually active right now. So you think, oh, well, tampon doesn't hurt, but then those devices are bigger than a tampon. So maybe that hurts. So yeah. if that device hurts. That's another clue that you probably should be using a different product. And, you know, mm-hmm. those devices, um, some of them do not, like, like they have more of like a, for lack of a better term, calling it a bladder, sort of like a, like a balloon type thing inside. And all it does is measure change of changes in pressure. It doesn't Mm -hmm. tell you whether you're necessarily contracting or bearing down. So it doesn't tell you if you're Mm -hmm. well coordinated. Um, and I don't want to like point to any brands. I don't want to speak negatively about any brands. Um, but there are devices out there that have true sensors that can tell the difference between a contraction and a bearing down because also mm. 25% of women that think they're doing kegels right are not. So just because you mm. feel something happening down there does not mean you're doing a proper pelvic floor contraction. And if you're doing yeah. the opposite of what you need to do, then you're creating more strain in your system and you could be making your problem worse. So to your postpartum point, that's why I think like every woman should have at least three sessions, even if they don't think they have a problem Mm -hmm. to make sure that their pelvic floor is well coordinated with their deep abdominal muscles, because that can help prevent like low back injury, for example. Um, and And then you can get some sort of individualized care as to whether you are you overactive, are you underactive and get some, you know, treatment plan moving forward. So people just don't know. They they don't know. And they think, oh, I don't have any problems. But everybody that's pregnant has something wrong. Like being pregnant increases your risk. So maybe not everybody, but majority of women 
need to have like an easy path to access that postpartum care. Right. And like you said, I think so many of these things, issues are just so normalized of like, you know, I can't go for a run or jump on a trampoline with my kids anymore. And it's kind of like, just like a little bit of a laughing matter, but that shouldn't have to be the case. So if you're struggling with this urinary incontinence now, do you see that just worsen over the course of our life if it's not fixed or does it absolutely yeah like um so women that are still leaking three months postpartum the research says that that same percentage of women are still leaking five years postpartum mm. so this isn't a wait and see but unfortunately that's the advice that OBGYNs are giving their patients they're saying mm. oh well you're breastfeeding you'll get better after you're done breastfeeding like how many people listening to this podcast now have heard that because yeah. that is the classic line but that's not what the research says to do mm. like early intervention is always better and then I even think like way ahead at these poor, like little ladies in a nursing home that get put in the nursing home by their families because their families don't want to deal with their incontinence. Yeah. These women have had incontinence since they yeah. birthed their babies. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh huh. What's wrong with our world right yeah. now? Like, like why can't we have early intervention? It would probably truly save billions of dollars, mm-hmm. you know, um, in healthcare costs. How long does it take someone to treat you know, urinary incontinence or strengthen the pelvic floor. Obviously it probably depends on the length of time you've been dealing with the issues, but is this a long drawn out process or is, does it actually shift pretty quickly? Um, so regardless of where you're starting, um, most people should notice improvements Mm -hmm. within the first month of treatment. So how, how long it takes really depends on, yes, how long you've had the problem, but more so than that, like where you're starting at, like Mm -hmm. how overactive is your pelvic floor? How weak is your pelvic floor? How soon can we get those muscles to calm down? Sometimes they just take a couple of visits and then you can start with strengthening right away. And when you start with strengthening, it's about six to eight weeks to increase what we call like one muscle strength score. Mm -hmm. So we grade muscles on a zero to five scale. Zero would be no contraction whatsoever. Five would be the maximum strength score. So if it takes you six to eight weeks to roughly get up like another number and you start at a one, which means in the pelvic floor, it just feels like a flicker, like a hint of a something happening, like a something more than nothing. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, if it takes, let's just say eight weeks times four to get all the way up to a five, I mean, that could take you that's 32 weeks. Right. So it could take a long time, but you don't need to be in PT every week for 32 weeks. Right. Like you just, you'll have a home program. Like when patients are truly like just needing to focus on strengthening, I might only see them once every three or four weeks for progressions. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm seeing them for a long time, but I'm not seeing them all the time right. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also more than just doing kegels. Like we have to make sure you're coordinated well with your deep abdominal muscle layer, because that helps support your pelvic floor along with helping support your spine and your posture. And there's like other muscles that we layer on top that further help support the pelvic floor too. So we do like core, core training and hip strengthening and things like that to help better support pelvic floor function. It's such a grounding force of your body. You know, like when you think about the pelvic floor, it's really what holds the both halves of your body together and keeps you so yeah, stabilized the top to the bottom, the left yeah. to the right, uh-huh. like why it 
it is not getting the attention it deserves. I think it's the most important muscle group in the whole body because without pelvic floor function, Uh even if you're not into having sex, okay. (laughs) Like we all got to use our bowels and our bladders. Mm -hmm. Like if we lose that, we're going to lose so much more. Like we're Mm going to socially withdraw, right? Like we're not going to want to go out if we smell like poop, because we can't keep our poop in our body, right? Like we're going to stay inside the house. It's going to be like a severe detriment to our mental health. Um, even if like, if you have pee problems, like you're not jumping on the trampoline, you're not running like that affects your cardio, right? If you're not able to get that level of cardio up that you need, that's going to affect your heart, your lungs, right? If you're not able to exercise at the intensity that you otherwise could. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's like the most important voluntary muscle group in the entire body. Yeah. Because it affects everything else you can do. Right. I mean, and some of our biggest nerve endings end in our pelvic floor region. Do you feel like, I mean, after you've seen a lot of women heal on the other side of this, what are some testimonies outside of just pelvic floor strength and not dealing with urinary incontinence and maybe having a better sex life? I mean, all those are really important, but do you see an, an, a complete shift in, in their their overall health? Like, can you, well, definitely. Think, yeah. And like how pelvic PT truly started, this is my sort of like historical mm-hmm. interpretation of yeah. how our profession came to be is that patients would have back pain. They would come to mm-hmm. PT for lower back pain mm-hmm. and we would have them engage their transverse abdominus muscle, their deep internal corset muscle, because we knew that that was helpful for most types of low back pain to have good strength, endurance, coordination of that muscle group. But then patients would say, you know, I also, I didn't tell you this when I came in, but I used to pee when I sneezed and I don't do that anymore. Why could that be? Because the transverse abdominus works with the pelvic floor muscles. Mm -hmm. So then more research was being done on that coordinated function between those two muscle groups. And I think that's really how pelvic PTs entered into helping with that. So yes, like it can help with back pain when you have good pelvic floor strength. Um, for example, yeah. um, it can help with hip pain, uh-huh. you know, it, it can have effects on overall health uh-huh. as well. Yeah. I've, I've heard that there's a, um, you know, when we study emotions and mindset, I heard that there's a large storage point for some of these emotions to be stored in our pelvic floor. Have you ever heard that? Or, you know, like trauma being yeah. stored, not just physical trauma, but emotional trauma being stored in our pelvic floor. Absolutely. Um, so the pelvic floor muscles are unique and that they are innervated or connected to nerves or connected by mm-hmm. nerves that are both that are um, motor sensory and autonomic. So motor means we can move them. Sensory means we can feel things with them and autonomic refers to the state of our nervous system. Mm -hmm. So, um, at this point, I think it's worth defining further what the autonomic nervous system is. And I, I, when I was learning it, I was like, Oh, it's like the automatic nervous system. It's the things that happen on our body without us trying to make them happen. Um, and like breathing our heart beating, um, and you know, our bladder filling our Mm -hmm. gut digesting. So all of those are controlled by the autonomic nervous system. Um, it's divided into two parts. We have a parasympathetic and a sympathetic. The parasympathetic is known as like our rest and digest. Mm -hmm. So that's like when we're digesting, when our heart rate slows down, our breathing rate slows down. Um, the sympathetic is 
more so known as fight or flight. It's what happens if we're being chased by a tiger. Mm -hmm. So um, our heart rate is up, our breathing is heavier, our mouth is dry. We're not stopping to have a nice bowel movement because we don't have time for that. We got to get away from the tiger, you know? So um, when it comes to emotions and like trauma being stored there too, um, you know, it will be affected through that like autonomic nervous system component. Mm -hmm. So like if we have like fear or something, like we're going to be stuck in that fight or flight Mm -hmm. response, like in other parts of our body, but it will affect our pelvic floor as well, because it is innervated by those autonomic nerves. Mm -hmm. So you know, and what, what happens when we, um, are afraid of something, right. So like experience a trauma, like what posture do we go into? Like corner of a room huddled and a ball knees to chest, like fetal position. Like you're trying to make yourself small. So the, the big, bad, you know, Mm -hmm. enemy doesn't see you. And, um, so, so we hold that posture too. That also makes our hip flexors tight. So there is also like a thought that the psoas and the hip flex, mm-hmm. the hip flexors contribute to like stored trauma as well. Mm-hmm. So I do see a lot of like psoas, deep hip flexor overactivity along with pelvic floor overactivity. Um, those definitely tend to tie together. Yeah. So do you feel like you have to do some kind of emotional work too, in some level to fully heal the pelvic floor? Or do you feel like releasing the pelvic floor kind of releases those emotions without maybe doing some of that, that, um, specific work. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm a physical therapist, not a psychotherapist. Uh So I feel like just in the way that I'm able to make a patient comfortable, Mm -hmm. that that can help settle their emotions a little bit. But, um, you know, I mean, patients a lot of times need more than what Mm -hmm. I am licensed to offer. So they might have a therapist that they're, you know, maybe doing like cognitive behavioral therapy with, um, we have a somatic stress therapist in our office that deals a lot with, um, like safely reducing or releasing stored traumas in the body within her scope of practice. Mm-hmm. So there are other people in my network that I'll send to, uh, because it is often more than I can just do, but yeah. sometimes my patients just need me and a medical dilator kit to mm-hmm. help them do pelvic floor releases at home. They come in office and I do them and I teach them their bigger program to address also like their hip or back pain, because it's not just about the pelvic floor being the cause of everything. Mm-hmm. Like it, our posture can drive pelvic floor muscle overactivity. If we have hip pain, that will lead to pelvic floor muscle overactivity. Um, most, most of the time. So, um, yeah, they, sometimes patients definitely need more, but Mm -hmm. I can recognize that in patients when they need more than what I have to offer and make their referrals. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that sense that. So there's a lot of thought, you know, when we talk about orgasm and people wanting to orgasm, at least orgasm, right? Some people just struggle to orgasm. Some people want stronger orgasms. And there's a big linkage to the pelvic floor strength to be able to orgasm you know, more pleasurably. And again, we kind of go to Kegels and strengthening that. Like, do you have any thoughts or tips on where is this line between reducing, you know, or, or calming our pelvic floor and having a better orgasm versus strengthening it to have a better orgasm? What, what do you say to that? Yeah. So again, it's like, do you have any pain or dysfunction Mm -hmm. that maybe you have voiced and some provider has normalized for you, but 
you know, you really have to understand healthy pelvic floor function first. Mm -hmm. And if all seems healthy and like a green light with that, then perhaps strengthening can be where you start. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, peeing five to eight times per day, not waking at night to pee. That would be normal. Um, not peeing enough or peeing all the time, peeing at night, um, waking at night to pee. Those would be abnormal. So therefore, like maybe don't start with a strengthening routine right away. If you have yeah. urgency frequency issues, um, any pain with penetration also is a really like big red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if someone truly just has like, man, like I had a baby, my orgasms aren't as good as they used to sex is fine. Bowel and bladder stuff is all seemingly normal. Um, you know, normal, they're not constipated. They're not, um, with any of those abnormal urinary frequency things. Um, then maybe they can start with kegels right away. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not saying nobody in this world can start with it right away, but they really have to do some self-reflection on like, is my pelvic floor healthy to just start strengthening right away? Or do I need more intervention Mm -hmm. to make sure I can optimize my strength to make my orgasms better? So I know in your book, um, you, like you said, you kind of lay out a more specific plan maybe for this, which is a great book to pick up when it comes to calming the nervous system or calming the pelvic floor. What are a few just ways that women can experience that maybe instantaneously is if that's possible. Yeah. To start moving it in the right direction, doing, um, like a diaphragm breath would be very helpful, Mm -hmm. especially getting the rib cage to expand, not just up, but laterally Mm -hmm. feeling the belly rise. When you reach the end of that inhale, you should feel your pelvic floor passively dropping or lengthening a little bit with that inhale, because as the diaphragm, the breathing muscle drops, as it does when the lungs are filling with air, the pelvic floor drops with that. Mm -hmm. So just giving like a passive stretch through that slow, deep inhalation is one way to calm the nervous system as a whole, but also will help, um, you know, with the pelvic floor. Uh So that's the first thing that people should do. Now, I just think some therapists spend a little too long on breathing Yeah, and patients get frustrated um, because I can teach someone how to breathe in two minutes and then they can just go home and breathe. Or while I'm working on their pelvic floor, they can work on their breathing and I can Mm -hmm. cue them while I'm working on their pelvic floor. But that's, um, that's one easy place to start. Um, Mm -hmm. But even doing other poses, like like some yoga poses, like that deep breathing in a happy baby position or in a child's pose position. Like those are two of my favorite yoga positions to get their nervous systems calm. Okay. That's, I mean, that's a great starting point and they're so easy, right? Like it's just, there's not a lot of work involved in taking some deep breaths or yeah. If they just do like two or three minutes of that, yeah, then that's all they need to do. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions from guests or the audience, um, listeners that they wanted to answer before we kind of talk more about your book and learning more about your work and what you're doing. Um, and these are just a couple of basic questions, but they are interested in knowing does the pelvic floor strengthening the pelvic floor or working with your pelvic floor decrease the mom pooch or, you know, like flat help flatten your stomach. Yeah. Well, it can through that co-contraction with the transverse abdominus muscle. That's Mm -hmm. the deepest abdominal muscle layer that acts like an internal corset. So it can help firm up the muscle structure underneath, but there might also be soft tissue on top of that. And they would need to do cardio to get Uh rid of that. 
but you know, if they're peeing their pants all the time, they might not right. be able to do the car. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. You got to so, look at the whole picture, right? Like looking yeah. at everything. Okay. The next question was about a jade egg. I heard a jade egg is f- supposed to be supportive and su- uh, strengthening the pelvic floor. Is that something you would recommend? No, I don't recommend jet- jade eggs or kegel weights. Mm-hmm. Um, in anyone that has any dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, and what our body doesn't need to do is hold something at like a fairly intense, like hold something weighted in mm-hmm. our vaginas for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Like those muscles need to be able to like ebb and flow with movement. We don't want them to be rigid mm-hmm. because a rigid muscle isn't going to provide strength when we need it either. So I'm not a fan of those devices across the board. Okay. Good to know. And this one's from a male could helping my sexual or my pelvic floor help in the width and girth of my erection. Ah, so we do treat that in my office as Mm -hmm. well. Um, it's usually an overactive pelvic floor thing Mm. that, um, that needs to be addressed. Okay. So it's not usually kegels. That's not where we would start with that most of the time. And this one's for me. So I have been using a menstrual cup for a period of time. And I have felt like over the course of the year of using it, um, that I feel like I struggle more with pelvic floor discomfort and low back pain. And I couldn't really figure out what it is because I haven't had any kids recently, but then I started to think it could that menstrual cup be influencing or weakening or making my pelvic floor overactive. How do you feel about them? Yeah. Well, I think that they're fine and great. Mm -hmm. Um, I have lots of patients that use them without any, without any, um, issues. So, but yeah, in your case, maybe, maybe you're not using the right size. Maybe there's some Mm -hmm. irritation that's occurring. That's in turn creating like the pelvic floor muscles to guard a little bit. So I would say either maybe trying like a different brand or Mm -hmm. size Um, but yeah, there might be some pelvic floor overactivity and I would want to know if you have like any other symptoms other than like the, the low back pain too, like any changes in your experience with penetrative intercourse, for example, which you don't need to answer. Yeah. 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 No, I totally get it. But in general, you're not opposed to them. (laughs) No, not at all. Not opposed. All right. Well, this has been so insightful. Um, It has been wonderful having you on the show and answering some of these questions. And I, I hope it just spurs people on to, look into their pelvic floor because it is a really, really, really big part of overall health, especially sexual wellness, but overall health. You have a great book out um, called Sex Without Pain. And I think it's a great book, even if you don't have sex or pain with sex, because it answers a lot of questions that we talked about today. But can you tell us more about where we can find your book and some of the work that you do and just getting help in this area? Yeah. So, um, so you can get my book, um, in print on Amazon or soulsource.com. Soulsource also sells medical dilators. So that's a great place to kind of bundle up, um, mm-hmm. a package there. And it just goes over self-treatment techniques using the medical dilators to help identify and treat overactive pelvic mm-hmm. floor muscles. Um, if you're in Los Angeles or you can get to Los Angeles, I have locations there along with my like physical therapy staff that I've trained, um, and have been working with me for several years. So, um, you know, there are ways to get in-person care too, as some people will really need that additional level of support. Uh, mm-hmm. we do telehealth and, um, yeah, I think, you know, this work is just, 
I think uh, just a missing piece and a standard of healthcare that all women need, yeah. whether they've had babies or not. Um, really mm-hmm. all people need, like, it's just that mm-hmm. like keystone uh, area of our body that doesn't mm-hmm. get the attention it deserves. So thank you for, for bringing it up in this conversation. Of course. Yeah. It's been fantastic. Now, one thing before we go, you did just mention a medical dilator. What do people need to know about those? And are those something that you would recommend? Yes. Absolutely. But not without instructions to know how uh-huh. to use them. So, um, so that's what my book does. And it really takes an orthopedic approach. Um, my book does in identifying and treating pelvic floor, most dilators come with instructions of you just insert them for 10 mm-hmm. or 15 minutes, but that's not how we would improve muscle or tissue flexibility. So mm-hmm. it takes more of like an active approach on how would I treat other muscles? I'm just applying that to the pelvic floor. So yeah, but but you do need medical dilators if you are trying to treat sexual pain or like pain Mm -hmm. with anything penetrative, including a tampon. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you're treating an overactive pelvic floor, you, you need those as well. Sometimes you need like a curved wand, like a Thera wand to Mm -hmm. be able to reach like harder to reach areas of the pelvic Mm -hmm. floor. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a wealth of knowledge. I thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this information with us. And I'll make sure and link everything up in the show notes. They can find your book and your work um, and reach out to you if they need specific health help in this area. Thank you, Alexa. I appreciate you having this conversation. I told you it was incredibly fascinating and I'm so honored to have Heather on the show. Now, if you'd like to learn more about her work and what she does, you can find her at fusionwellnesspt.com. That's fusionwellnesspt.com. And I will make sure and link all of that up in the show notes, as well as where you can get a copy of her book, Sex Without Pain. Now, if you want to learn more about pelvic floor, make sure you head on over to thelivingwell.com where we have more resources, the sexual health guide that you can download for free, and even dive into those other podcasts inside this series. I hope you are having just as much fun here as I have been, and I can't wait to bring you the rest of the series, including some other pretty fascinating guests and also some solo shows. So things are just getting heated up here. Don't forget to head back and listen to all the other podcasts inside this series. And don't forget to check out those podcast sponsors, Athletic Greens and Yarlop. Yarlop, especially after today and talking about the pelvic floor, it truly is a game changer. And it's been a tool that has really helped my pelvic floor more than about anything else. Of course, I always recommend you going to a pelvic floor specialist as well, uh, but Yarlap is a great tool to help strengthen your pelvic floor. Now, one last thing before I go, I do want to remind you of the brand new five-day hormone reset. Now, yes, your hormones are just messenger molecules, but they do play a huge role in the overall scope of your body. And if you really want to understand how to heal them at a deep level, not just the surface level masking, you need to check out that program. It's going to give you all of the details on hormones, including the different cycles of our hormonal patterns, whether you're menopausal, menstruating, or even a male. Yes, this is great for males as well. And of course, get the five-day plan that will really transform your hormones. You can find that at thelivingwell.com. Okay, I will be back next week with a brand new podcast and expert talking all about sexual trauma. 